we are in the last letter to the churches. We're in the seventh letter that Jesus gave John the Revelator, not John the Baptist, to write down and have delivered to these seven churches. It's the church of Laodicea, and we're going to be in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. You go ahead and flip there in your Bibles or on your Bible app because it's 2023. I won't be offended if you do that. If you take notes, if you write in your Bible or you even mark up your Bible app, you can put Proverbs 3 next to this. I'm not going to go into it, but um, Revelation, the letter to the church in Laodicea is giving Proverbs 3. So write that down next to it. I'm not trying to be culturally relevant, but it's going to happen a lot in this message. So brace yourself. All right, Revelation 14 through 22. Here we go. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will, come into, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. We're gonna jump right in. Uh, I, I tend to like to teach verse by verse, so we're gonna break this out in chunks, but we're gonna start with verse 14. Jesus says, I am the faithful and true witness. I don't know if anybody, cultural relevance coming at you, not on purpose. I don't know if anybody watched the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial that happened. No, just me? Okay, that's fine. Uh, it was highly publicized, highly televised, and if you watched it, there were um, tons of witnesses that were called. There was basically two parties that were suing each other, and um, both parties had the opportunity to call witnesses to the stand to bear testimony. And they did this because it helped the judge and the jury hear, like, hey, what did you see? What was your perspective? What did you experience? If you watched, which none of you guys did, so I'll let you know what happened. Um, one of the witnesses, one of the, the people suing the other person, it was either Johnny Depp or Amber Heard, one of them, got on stand to give their testimony. So they, they uh, acted as their own witness, in a sense. And as they were talking, you were kind of like, the math isn't mathing here. Like, your testimony is going against your own testimony, what they, ooh, I almost gave it away. What they put themselves at risk for was perjury. Perjury is lying to the court. Why is it important to have a true and faithful witness on the witness stand? Because it's that witness's testimony that sways the judge or jury because they weren't there. All they have is the word of another. It's that person's testimony that sways the judge or the jury to declare someone innocent or guilty. 
And if you have someone who's giving a false witness, if they're committing perjury on the stand, what is at risk there is an innocent person being deemed guilty or a guilty person walking free. And Jesus says, that's, that's not how it is with me. There is no crookedness. I, the details aren't fuzzy for me. I'm a true and faithful witness. It also says he is the amen. I didn't understand this, but when I finally grasped it, I was like, this is actually really beautiful. If you think about it, when we pray, we end our prayer with amen. I say, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen there means let it be so. Jesus says, I am the let it be so. Well, we're studying in Genesis in our Tuesday night women's Bible study. Shout out to that. If you want to show up, it's at 530. And um, it's really interesting because if you go back to the very first chapter in Genesis when God is creating, it says, and God said, let there be blank. Let there be light. And what does scripture say? And it was so. Jesus is the one that when God speaks, it comes to pass. And that's why um, in Revelation 4, it talks about him as being the beginning of God's creation. Romans says, from Jesus are all things. Don't let this beginning trip you up. It's not talking about Jesus having a beginning point. It's not saying that Jesus wasn't eternal from the beginning with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. What it's saying is Jesus is the head. He is at the forefront of everything created. He is the origin point. When Jesus says this, what he's saying is when God gives a command for something to happen, I'm the one who starts it and sees it to completion. I am the amen. Verse 15 and 16, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot, cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Yikes. Jesus literally just said, you make me want to vomit. That's rough. This is one of those situations, again, where, the, where someone's like, I have a word for you. And you hear it, you're like, maybe another word. You got anything else in there? Jesus is making reference to Laodicea's water system in their town. You see, they were located in such a way that there was a hot springs that people would visit, this healing, soothing hot springs on one side, and the, the town over, Colossae, they had um, these mountain waters. They would flow down from the mountain, and it was cool and refreshing and good to drink. But Laodicea, they had to have their water, their water piped in. And what would happen is, on the way, that water grew lukewarm in the duct. And not only that, it actually picked up deposits, like the flavor of certain... Um, Calcium is the word, minerals, there we go. A certain minerals that were deposited. I don't know if you've ever seen like an old house, the plumbing, I don't know why you would have seen that. Um, my husband's in construction, so of course I have. But if you, if you go into under an old house and you cut one of the plumbing pipes, it's not just like a clear pipe, it's got buildup around the edges. This is the water in Laodicea. It's lukewarm, it's gross. See, what was different about Laodicea than Colossae, which had the cold water, and the place that had these warm springs, was that those two places were connected to their source. That water was derived directly from the source, so it was either healing or refreshing, but Laodicea was neither. It was just kind of out in no man's land. 
Jesus is telling this church, you're like the water you drink. You disgust me. This is not soothing and healing or refreshing. It's kind of probably difficult in our 2023 context to understand what it would be like to drink nasty water because if we don't like our water in the tap, we can go to the fridge. And if we don't like our water in either of those, we can go buy bottled water. Like we have options. But I had the pleasure of living near Waco, Texas in the early 2000s. So I know what nasty water is like. I'm gonna tell you about it. I, um, first time I, I was actually in Waco, I went to a Taco Bell and I ordered my food and a water and I sat down and I took a swig of my water and I spit it back in the cup. I was like, something's not right. So I walked up to the counter and I put it on the counter. I was like, hey, can I get like a soda or something instead? And they were like, sure. So they gave me a soda. I went back to my food, took a drink of my soda. The water was so nasty that you could still taste it through the carbonation and through the syrup for the soda. So I went back up and I was like, boy, you got a problem with your something. This all tastes really nasty. And they didn't even bat an eye. Like, had it been me, I would have been, like, panicking. Something infiltrated the water system? Like, why does it taste so nasty? He was just like, yeah, it's Waco water. I was like, and you let me drink it? Some people had gotten so used to drinking it, it wasn't weird. But it was nasty. See, what was happening in Waco at that time was they had a bunch of cattle farms around, particularly dairy farms. And the dairy farmers would take the manure and they would spread it out in such a way that it was shedding off into their, their lakes and their waters. And it was feeding to the main supply. And it was flavoring the water. It was disgusting. Yeah, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Now people think of Waco, they're like, oh, it's Magnolia. I'm like, don't drink the water. It's fine now, though. They've, they've fixed it. But I, I realize that Jesus isn't talking about nasty tasting water. He's talking about lukewarm water. And fortunate, fortunately enough for you guys, I have an experience with lukewarm beverages also that is very traumatic. It's my kid's favorite story to tell. Picture it. A hot Southern Illinois day, and Home Depot is having a plant sale, and hydrangeas are on sale. I say, honey, we've got two little boys. One of them is still young enough. He's potty training. I know it's hot, but can we please, please go buy 50% off hydrangea bushes? And he was like, sure. So we drive to the Home Depot, and we decide that he would stay in the car with the boys and kind of drive around so that we didn't have to drag them out in the heat. So he's driving around. Very important note. I brought a ice-cold bottle of water with me, just like this. And I sat it in the console, got out. I did my shopping, got my plants. It was so hot, because, you know, the garden center's outside, like it's not the air-conditioned climate control. So I am like roasting. We, I finish shopping. I load these bushes into the back of the, into the back. Oh, I'm going there. Into the back of the trunk. And I take my seat in the passenger seat. And I reach for my ice-cold bottle of water. Now I'm going to tell you this. And it, it like, I'm, it's going to take me a few sec or minutes to tell you like what went down. But it went down like that in my mind, just like an instant. I take a swig of my ice-cold water, and it's lukewarm. And I'm like, something's not right. He's been driving around with the air on full blast. Why is my water lukewarm? Something's not right. And then I remembered we're potty training our son. Oh, yeah. 
And once again, that water came spewing out of my mouth because what had happened was Nathaniel thought, I'm not going to drag two little boys into the Home Depot on a hot day. I'm going to dump out mommy's water bottle and let him just go in the water bottle. And then he put it right back in the same exact spot. Did he give me a honey, don't drink that? No, he did not. But he did have his hands full. Y'all, just for the record, I did not swallow it, so I did not drink it. It was just in my mouth, but I had to put that out there. But what tipped me off that something was very, very, very wrong was that the water was lukewarm. And it should not have been lukewarm. And when I was drinking the Waco water, my first thought was, spit it out. This cannot be good for your body. Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea, you are not good for my body. He's not being petty and he's not being mean. He's saying, you, you are potentially dangerous to my body. I'm going to spit you out because of it. All right. Take a moment, because I just told the internet that I had pee in my mouth. <laughs> this water's nice. <laughs> All right. 17 and 18. Jesus says, for you say, oh, no, I'm sorry. Went back up. Got myself all thrown off. Jesus tells the church, there's something wrong with you. You're not good for my body. And the thing is, he uses hot or cold. He, he is referring to the two towns and their water sources next door. He's saying, hey, you're, um, you're not soothing like a nice hot cup of tea. Because when your hot cup of tea gets lukewarm, when it reaches room temperature and you're sick, what do you do? If you're feeling good enough, you go pop it back in the microwave or you brew a fresh hot cup because it's soothing, it's healthy and healing. He says, you're not refreshing, like I've been working outside hard, Home Depot plant sale day, and I need a nice ice cold thing to drink. You're not good for anything, is what Jesus is telling this church. Certainly not the body of Christ. So the question is, what are these people doing that Jesus himself says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth? Verse 17 answers that question. It says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. The best interpretation of that, I need nothing, is actually, I lack nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This is kind of confusing because we know scripture all intertwines. And what the people in Laodicea are saying is we lack nothing. Now that's the same attitude David had in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So why is it righteous for David to lack nothing, but unrighteous, for the church in Laodicea to say, we're good. We like nothing. It goes back to the source. David was connected to the Lord. He lacked nothing because Jesus was his shepherd. 
He had everything he needed in Jesus. But Laodicea says, we are our own source. We're, good. We're doing good. We lack nothing. The issue is the source. And Jesus is good. He is a faithful witness. He's not about to let these people go on believing that they're really okay. He's like, actually, you have nothing. You lack everything. And I think this is a really important point to make. Jesus doesn't say to them, here's what you're doing wrong. Sucks to be you. That's not his heart behind this letter. What he says is, let's make a trade. You give up what you think you have, what you think is wealth, and trade it to me. I will be your source. And then you will truly lack nothing. Um, I heard a wise woman say recently, it has kind of jarred me and stayed with me. I've been meditating on it. Your excess reveals your emptiness. Your excess reveals where you're spiritually empty. So an example of this would be, uh, I had a woman who came to me and she was like, I'm really struggling with like cussing. Like every other word out of my mouth. I, I don't want it to be this way, but it is this way. And I'm like, huh, well, you have an excess of dirty words. So your spiritual lack is in holy speech. I'm like, have you, when's the last time you prayed in tongues? When's the last time you did the opposite of cussing? When's the last time you asked the Lord to give you the gift of tongues? This is so true in Laodicea too. Their excess reveals their emptiness. Jesus says, you think your bank balance is high. Actually, your heavenly balance is zero. Their excess revealed their emptiness. He tells these people, get this. I reprove those I love. I reprove those I love. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus' whole motivation for this conversation is love. And he's standing outside the door of the church in Laodicea spiritually, which, like, let that sink in. These people will let anyone in the door except for Jesus. He's standing outside of the door knocking. And he's not mad. He's not like, Jesus, open up or I'm going to bust the door in. He just knocks. And when they don't answer the first knock, he knocks again. And when they don't answer the second knock, he just keeps knocking. And I can't help but think when Jesus says knock and keep knocking, he's like, I'm willing to do it. Are you? Are you willing to continue knocking There's something really interesting going on here too. Got a little literature lesson for you, a second chance in case you didn't pay attention in middle school. Um, the Greek word there for zealous is onomatopoeia. Oh, I'm a homeschool mom too, so to be fair. It's onomatopoeia. And if you don't remember what that was from middle school English, onomatopoeia is basically a word that makes the sound that it's talking about. So Erin knows, she's like, yeah, thank you. You paid attention. So for instance, drip, drop, drip, drop, drip, drop. It's what water sounds like as it's dripping off of a roof or out of a faucet. 
That's onomatopoeia, those two words. Or tick-tock, tick-tock. That's the sound the clock hands make as they make their way around the clock. The word zealous here, Jesus is being cute. He says, so be zealous. In Greek, that word zealous is zelu. I'm sure I did not say it right, or you would have been like, oh, we get it. It is onomatopoeia for the sound of water boiling. Jesus is saying, be zealous in every sense of the word. Literally, I think we can think of this as a boil water order to the church in Laodicea. You know what happens when the lines bust and the water gets nasty in our water system here in America? Well, hopefully. Your water company will put out of signs, they'll send out text messages, they'll send out emails, and they say, don't drink the water. You're under a boil water order. Because there's stuff in this water that might do some things to you that you're not here for. So you have to heat it up to a certain temperature. Jesus is saying, be zealous. Allow yourself to be zealous, to be boiled, to be heated up, because what happens when fire, when heat is applied? It refines. Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's, Spirit says to the churches. I mentioned in the beginning, we're wrapping up. This is our last um, letter. It's the seventh letter. And what I've learned and what I hope you've learned through this series is that these letters speak to three different, three different seasons. In Revelation, these letters speak to what was, so the church is then, what is, our church is now, and what is to come, the church of Christ in the end. It speaks to what was to these seven churches and the actual people who were in it. I think we get so disconnected from scripture that we forget that these people in Smyrna who Jesus said, hey, persevere. Some of you are gonna be thrown in prison and some of you are gonna die. I see that you're starving. I see that you're being crushed. Those were real people who had real dreams and real families. They had real anniversary dates. They had real death dates. They were real. It was a letter to a church then at the time in Pergamum, Pergamum who's being tempted. It sounds so crazy to us, but these people were literally being tempted. Their neighbor was like, you wanna to come to my orgy? They're like, sure, why not? That was a real temptation, so bizarre to us, but it was speaking to a very real pastime. It also speaks to us currently. I don't know if anyone's been here for all seven letters, but how many times have I thought, oh, I've been in that church, oof. I know that church. The church that Jesus says, you say you're alive, but you're actually dead. Or how about the church of today that has all of the resources in the world, and guess what? They're like, we lack nothing. We have a mission fund. We have a savings account. They're so resourced, and they've let everyone into the church except for Jesus. It's also very real for this season. And all we have left is the church that is to come. 
Jesus says, what is coming is a throne that will be established here on earth forever. And if you want to partake in the authority of the kingdom of God here on earth, the final thing that is to come, the final church that will be here, the gathering of believers, if you want to partake and participate in that authority, he says, here's how you do it. Conquer like I conquered. Knock like I knocked. Live like I was willing to live. And if you do those things, if you're willing to do those things, you'll have a reward like I have, a throne. I think the question to the letter, the question to the church of Laodicea is this. Are you willing to Zelu? Are you willing to let yourself be heated up? Are you willing to be the one person in your church who's like, roll call. Okay, Michael's here, Mallory's here, Nate's here. Someone important is missing. Are you the one person who's willing to be like, where's Jesus in this? Because he's knocking and it takes one person to open the door. I think of how many times we're told in scripture that Jesus sat and he ate with someone, a prostitute, a tax collector. I think of Zacchaeus. Jesus says, come down from that tree because I'm gonna go eat at your house today. Everyone hates Zacchaeus. They're like, you sure about that, Jesus? And the ironic thing is you come to this generation and we are so embarrassed of Jesus, like he's the tax collector, like he's the prostitute. When the God of the universe is knocking on our door, I want to eat at your house today. We're like, who's, does anyone see? He is our Zacchaeus in the church sometimes. I think that is the call in our era of Laodicea. Do you hear the knocking? Are you willing to answer? Answer. 